May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Today is the Sunday after uh, Ascension. Ascension is um, when we remember that Christ ascended into heaven uh, bodily and is now seated in a place of authority, uh, the right hand of God. And he, as we say in the creed, we believe that he will come again as judge of the living and the dead. But, but we have Easter and then the Easter season and then we have Ascension and then we have Pentecost. Um, and then we get into what's called kind of ordinary time. Um, but Ascension was celebrated uh, on the liturgical calendar, recognized this week. This is the Sunday after Ascension. And the Ascension marks the end of Christ's physical presence on earth. But he, um, when he ascended, the scripture says he, he gave gifts to his people. Ephesians chapter 4. The, the ascended Christ gave gifts to his people, to the church, so that the body of Christ might carry on his, his ministry. Christ isn't here physically, of course, but the body of Christ is here. And we are called to carry on his, his ministry, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that next Sunday, the empowerment uh, of the Holy Spirit. So this is Ascension Sunday, and it's also, of course, Mother's Day. And I was thinking about the two things together, and I thought I felt compelled to do something a little different from, my, from how I normally preach, which is to, to celebrate the women of faith uh, and, and the gifts that they have given. Christ has given gifts to the church, to the body of Christ, to strengthen the body of Christ. And I want to talk about the ways in which as I thought about the role that my own mother played in my development and my faith life, uh, and then seeing now how my wife is doing that with our children, and then just recognizing so many of, of you ladies here this morning who build up the body of Christ in various ways. I want to take this time to, um, to celebrate and to give thanks for the contribution of women of faith this morning. And so I have some examples Again, this is a departure from how I normally preach. Two examples from Christian history. And then um, something that came out of our Bible reading this morning. Biblical history. The first example of a woman who had great impact in Christian history um, by her example and her prayer life is a classic example. And that is the example of St. Monica. California, Santa Monica, California, is named after St. Monica. Who was St. Monica? She was the mother of St. Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo, who, of course, is one of the greatest influences or has had one of the greatest influences, not only on the church, but on Western culture. And uh, if you know a little bit about the story of St. Augustine, if you've read the Confessions, which some people say that was... that helped to invent the genre of autobiography. The, the Confessions is where God, where St. Augustine is, is reviewing his life. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a prayer of confession to God. Um, and he's confessing, obviously, the wrong that he's done. And he's thanking God for his providential intervention in his life. And he's also taking some amazing philosophical and theological detours as he does all that. 
but he's writing as, a, as an older man, as the Bishop of Hippo at this time. And he talks about the role that his mother, Monica, played in his life. Her example and her prayers. Because Augustine was not always a Christian. In his 20s, he had a wild kind of life. And he was concerned with mainly two things in his 20s, late teens and 20s. Women and a position of prominence. He would chase women and he, he confesses that he was filled with lust and was living a very worldly life and he was hungry for status and prominence. And so that's what he was pursuing in his late teens and 20s. Of course, he was a very gifted young man. But Monica, his mom, saw the direction his life was taking and it broke her heart. And she began to pray for her son. And she prayed and she never gave up. And she says this, um, rather he says this about his mom, Monica. Now again, he's, he's writing this to God. And so he's praying to God this prayer. And he says, your faithful one, his mother, Monica, your faithful one wept before you on my behalf. More than mothers are wont to weep the bodily death of their children because she saw that I was spiritually dead. Augustine's saying, I, I now know as a Christian, as an old man, that I was spiritually dead. At the time, I didn't know this, but my mom knew it. And she was praying and, and with tears, he says, God, you heard her tears. You heard her prayers, rather. You despise not her tears. They water the earth under every place, she prayed. So Augustine uh, sees his mom's piety, her devotion to Christ. She's praying, and eventually he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. In his early 30s, Augustine was baptized with his son, with his son in the church on Easter 387. So Monica, I just lift her up for us. As an example of a mother who is persistent in prayer for her children who are going in the wrong direction spiritually. And there's a pow the, the, the power of, uh, of a praying mother or grandmother or an aunt in a family who is looking and seeing what's going on in their family and then they're making that a matter of intercessory prayer. It's a wonderful example for us. Some of my earliest memories are of my mother at prayer. They're like kind of snapshots of seeing my mom at prayer, kneeling by her bedside as a very little boy. I remember those scenes, and that's been very influential to me. And still today, my mom will call me and say, I'm praying for you about this or that. Very powerful. So St. Monica is a great example of that. To, to never really give up, never give up praying for the next generation. And then the other example I want to lift up from, from history is of a woman that maybe some of you have never heard her name. Some of you have, but I suspect that many of you have never heard her name. Now, she never married. She never had biological children, but she had thousands of spiritual children. Her name is Henrietta Mears. Henrietta Mears. And Henrietta Mears is... Um, was a major figure in 20th century American Christianity. When she was in her 40s, she became the director of Christian education for Hollywood Presbyterian Church, which is a big church. And um, the pastor recruited her. She was a school teacher, 
she was working in the school system, but she was also, it's, I believe she lived in Minnesota at that time, and she was also teaching Sunday school. And under her leadership, the Sunday school program there in the church in Minnesota was growing. And she was applying what she knew about uh, educational theory and practice. She was applying some of that to her Sunday school system. But she was a woman of great energy, boundless, it seems, energy and intelligence and, the key thing here, really passionate about reaching the next generation for Christ. And so she kind of, she gave it her all to reach the next generation for Jesus Christ. Again, she was not married. She didn't have her own children, but she was investing in the lives of the next generation. Now, here are some names of the people that Henrietta Mears influenced. Bill Bright, who is the founder or was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, a major parachurch ministry. Bill Bright, Campus Crusade for Christ, has that organization has reached hundreds of thousands. I'm I'm not going to exaggerate. I'm not going to do the preacher thing and try to exaggerate. I don't really know the numbers, but they have a they're the ones that put out the Jesus film, Campus Crusade for Christ. And some people claim that hundreds of millions have heard the gospel through Campus Crusade for Christ because of this Jesus film. Amazing influence that organization has had. Then she influenced Jim Rayburn, who is the founder of Young Life Ministry, another very important parachurch ministry. And I can tell you, just being in Anglican circles and even some of the bishops that I've met will point to Young Life or Campus Crusade for Christ and say, those, those ministries really influenced me in my, my journey. Because some of them were growing up in churches where they didn't hear a clear presentation of the gospel. And they got that through the college ministries or the high school ministries that they're in, like Campus Crusade for Christ and Young Life. So Henrietta Mears influenced these men. And she influenced Billy Graham. In fact, here's what Billy Graham said about her. I doubt if any other woman except my wife and mother has had such a marked influence on me. Her gracious spirit, her devotional life, her steadfastness for the gospel and her knowledge of the Bible has been a continual inspiration and an amazement to me. So she gets to Hollywood Presbyterian Church. Um, She uh, starts writing her own curriculum. She publishes books. She runs camps. And that's where she really influenced Billy Graham was at one of her camps. She taught the Bible uh, at, at one time, uh, over 4,000, she had over 4,000 attendees in her Sunday school program at Hollywood Presbyterian Church. And, um, and so as I, as I read about her and thought about her this week, there's an example of somebody, of, of a woman who is dedicated to passing on the faith of the next generation with energy, with intelligence, with strategy. She said, I'm going to go after the young men And if I go after the young men, the young ladies will follow. And she was right. So she was a strategic thinker as well as as a creative thinker. So let's pray that God will raise up more Henrietta Mears who will say, "I, I want to be a spiritual mother to the next generation. So you have Monica, this woman of prayer. Henrietta Mears, this woman of intelligence and creativity and passion to reach the next generation. And then the third example of of a woman of faith that I want to lift up for us is somebody who's mentioned in our readings 
from uh, Romans 16. Romans 16. And as you as you read Romans 16, um, what Paul is doing here is he is obviously he's sending greetings to Christians in Rome. He's preparing uh, for his his visit. He he had hoped to visit Rome. Uh, And so he sent this letter, which the letter of Romans, of course, is a world changing document. And just think about it. it was Luther's rediscovery of the book of Romans that launched the Protestant Reformation. And then the history of 20th century Protestant theology was changed by another great thinker's interaction with the book of Romans, Karl Barth. And it it changed the trajectory of Protestant theology in the 20th century. So Romans has had a huge influence in the thinking in the the Christian West, in our theological reflection. And, And so you make your way through Romans 1 through 15, and there's so much stuff to to wrestle with and, and the doctrine and the theology and the moral conviction and the call to an ethical life in light of what Christ has done for you. It's all so rich. And then you get to 16 and it's just this list of names. And it's easy to kind of pass over. And I would not have noticed what I'm about to point out to you unless I hadn't heard another Anglican minister named David Roseberry, who's retired now, uh, preach and, and teach on this on this passage. So a lot of what I'm about to say comes from David Roseberry. I want to give credit where credit's due. But just notice here, before we get to this surprising verse here, um, the women that he mentions, and we don't have the whole Romans 16 before us, but Phoebe. Phoebe is a servant or, in the Greek, a deacon of the church. And some scholars believe that Phoebe is the one that took the letter of Romans to the, the Roman church. And he's commending Phoebe as a a servant, a deacon of the church. He says that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way that's worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. And then listen to this. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. What does that mean, a patron? Well, in this Greco-Roman context, it means somebody who's supporting, right? Financially, backing. And in other ways, supporting this mission of the Apostle Paul and many other people. So she's a very prominent Roman, uh, a person in the in the early church community, and she's going there to the, to, to the church at Rome to help as well. Phoebe, and then you have Prisca and Aquila. Prisca is another name for Priscilla. Priscilla and Aquila, who uh, in the Acts, in the Book of Acts, we see their their, their prominence. They're a husband and wife ministry team. They had a house church. They were fellow tent makers with the Apostle Paul. So they worked together with Paul to expand the gospel in the early church. And Priscilla and Aquila taught uh, this one dynamic, eloquent preacher named Apollos. And they need, they, he needed some of his theology straightened out. So in the book of Acts, we see that Priscilla and Aquila took him alongside themselves. And they, they taught Apollos more about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they're they're major figures, husband and wife team. But the the, the verse that I had never noticed before is that verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, listen to this, who has been a mother to me as well. Here's the Apostle Paul, and he's, he's going through this list of people, and he said, now there's one person in this whole list, and we don't know her name, and she's been like a mother to me. Isn't that amazing? 
to think that this woman has has what does that mean when you say this person has been like a mom or a dad to me? That's high praise, isn't it? This person has stood beside me, who's listened to me, has cared for me, has loved me. Rufus's mother has been like a, a mother to me. High praise. That's the only time that the Apostle Paul says something like this, that calls somebody a mo- his mother. Who was Rufus? Well, most scholars will, will say that most likely he is the son of Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene carried the cross of Christ. Simon of Cyrene, uh, you know the story, it says in Mark's Gospel, and as Jesus is walking to Golgotha, and he fell under the weight of the cross or the cross beam. I mean, he had been flogged and he lost all this blood. And so the Roman soldiers pick somebody out of the crowd, Simon of Cyrene, and say, hey, you, carry the cross. Cyrene is, uh, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a city in modern-day Libya. So this, this North African man gets picked out of the crowd and the soldiers say, you pick up his cross. So Simon of Cyrene takes the, the cross for, for Christ. And, and something happened, we think, to Simon of Cyrene with his encounter with Christ, because of his encounter with Christ. Because in, in Mark's Gospel, in Mark fifteen twenty one, it says this, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, listen, the father of Alexander and Rufus, mentioned in, Rufus mentioned in Romans 16, to carry the cross. And the, the, the thing about that is, is Mark is saying, you know this man, he's the father of Alexander and Rufus, which means the community that he's writing to knows who Alexander and Rufus is, right? Oh yeah, he's, he's their dad, and they're one of us. Something happened to Simon of Cyrene with his encounter with Christ, and he came back to his house, and he said, boys, come here. <laughs> You're never going to believe what happened to me today. You're never going to believe who I met. His life was changed by encountering Christ. And, and we think that most likely he would have stayed and, and heard and seen Christ on the cross and been changed by that. Anybody who really understands what Christ did on the cross and gets a sense of Christ on the cross can't walk away unchanged. You're transformed. So this Simon of Cyrene, you know, maybe had heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And certainly would have heard if he stayed, Jesus say, it is finished. And he had gone back to his family and said, boys, come here. I got to tell you something about this God of love revealed in Jesus Christ. And that family's life was changed. And not only the sons, but the mother. And now Paul gets here and he says, now this woman, Rufus's mom, has been like a mother to me. And again, we don't know what exactly she did in his life. Maybe she was able to tell the Apostle Paul at one point, I want to tell you about Jesus's final hours. I want to tell you what my my husband saw and heard. And maybe she passed that down to... uh, to the Apostle Paul. And that was part of his spiritual growth and development. We don't know exactly uh, what she did or how she was like a mother 
But, but, but we know what that means. When you say somebody's like a mother to me, it means this person loved me, this person cared for me, this person maybe made a meal for me and sat down across the table and just let me talk and listen to me. And, uh, and the Apostle Paul points out, and this woman who is just, uh, she's a nameless woman, we don't know who she is, but she was just going about her everyday life as a follower of Christ, loving people. And made this great impact on the greatest missionary in the history of Christianity. And he could say, this woman was like a mother to me. What a wonderful, wonderful um, statement. So, uh, brothers and, and sisters today, and especially moms and grandmas and aunts, you know, what a privilege you have, what a position you have, to influence the next generation for the gospel. And I know that many of you know that, and uh, I just want to encourage you in that role and honor you in that role and say, moms and grandmas and aunts, keep at it. Do not grow weary in well-doing. For in due time, Paul the Apostle says in Galatians 6, for in due time you will reap a harvest. Don't give up. Don't give up praying. Don't give up teaching. Don't give up living your life of faith for the next generation. But, you know, in the body of Christ, family transcends blood and biology. We are brothers and sisters. We are mothers and fathers uh, to those that we are not biologically connected. We're united in Christ. We're the family of God. And so I'm, I'm thankful for the spiritual mothers and fathers of this church who are in the Sunday schools and in the nursery and working with children to pass on the faith of the next generation. And not just those who are directly influencing the next generation, but I can think of people in my own upbringing, women of faith and men of faith, who just by their presence and their piety shaped me. Just by your presence and your devotion to Christ, you are influencing people for his kingdom. So, I'm grateful for you. And I'm grateful to God for these gifts. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we uh, do give you praise for the gifts that your risen and ascended Christ has given to the church and for the relationships, for the people that are here and the people that have been present in our life. Especially today, we give you thanks for mothers, for grandmas, for aunts, for spiritual mothers. And we pray, O oh God, that you would raise up a new generation of, of mentors and spiritual mothers for your church. Thank you, O oh God, for this day of, to celebrate our family and, and friendship. And also, once again, to remember, Lord Jesus, that you are seated at the right hand of the Father in this place of highest authority and position. And you reign and you rule and you are the head of the church. We give you praise and thanks. Amen. Amen.